Amen. What a wonderful picture that was. We are being taken over by kids here. We need to do something about this. They are going to take over. You can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll be in verses 12 through 22. And you can kind of keep your finger there. And while you're turning there, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 22, I want to take a moment to recognize and honor the grace and the great faithfulness and the mercy and strength of the Lord, because this weekend marks seven years in the Field Church's existence. And as I think about the past seven years and what the Lord's done, there's a few things that come to my mind. And first is the Lord's involved preparatory work for this body. Before any of us ever had the thought about this church, uh, before any of you had the idea that you would be here, before any of us who came to start this church knew anything about what it would be, the Lord was preparing all of our lives. And what a great, what a great testimony to the Lord's wisdom and his sovereignty. Before any of us ever knew anything, the Lord was preparing things outside of our own individual lives in this area, making way for his word to go forth. And I think about not only the Lord's preparatory work, but his provisional work. Uh, Moving families, uh, he provided the ability for us to purchase new homes in a place that we never had lived before and knew absolutely nobody. And uh, he provided along the way locations to gather, uh, places to worship so we could teach the Bible to people. He's provided all the resources we've needed to do the work of the ministry. Uh, the imbili- uh, even the ability to, to employ more laborers over the years. And even this church campus, what a wonderful place we sit in. I think not only the Lord's preparatory work or his provisional work, but his protective work. I think about how readily he has protected us over the years. His protection against the enemy's plots. I think about his protection over the tactics and the attempts of also people. And uh, people may ask sometimes why we're so hesitant to hear or receive suggestions or thoughts, why we listen very carefully when we are getting opinions, and we get a lot of them. Um, Because if we listened from the beginning to the outsiders, this church wouldn't be what we are so thankful it is today. Uh, We are, we would be more like a a spiritual and ministerial potluck where we can kind of come and get everything that we want, get a little taste of everything. But we don't listen to everyone, even though we know it makes some people upset because Christ is the head of his church. And so we're going to focus on being what he says we should be. And it amazes me sometimes when people come from really devastatingly unhealthy churches or even unhealthy situations and their lost situations And they say, we want you to be looser in doctrine, not as dogmatic in your teaching, not as serious in your practice. And I want to say, think about where you came from. How did that turn out? And you want that once again. And so by God's grace, the reason things are the way they are here is not because of any one person. 
It's because we, by God's grace, have decided not to turn from the right to the right or to the left from the word of God. And we want this to be a lasting place of health and safety where people find safety and strength. You know, people do find safety in strength. And that's a word to you dads too. People find safety in strength, even though sometimes it feels a little bit threatening. And things are built on the infallibility of the word of God and there's strength there. And so the Lord has protected us. And really what he's protected us from over these years is compromise. Because that's the temptation. Whether out of fear or out of sin, we begin to compromise. We begin to question the word of God. We begin to loosen our grip on it and say, well, that feels this way or that way. And it really takes some intentionality to consistently for the rest of your life just keep doing the same things and trusting the same word and don't listen to, to your own thoughts and don't get wise in your own eyes and don't listen to everybody around you. I mean, it's gonna take you some real intentionality to make it to the end of your life, not wavering on the sufficiency of the word of God. And it's, it's hard. We've had to mature. We've had to grow as a church like we all do. We've questioned everything at times. And, uh, but it's not about perfection, it's about direction. And the Lord has protected us as we've followed his directions. And so it doesn't mean that uh, when we follow the Lord, everything is gonna turn out right. I don't wanna paint that picture. Hey, we follow the Lord and so everything's perfect. Actually, everything is gonna, when you decide to follow the Lord, it's probably quite the opposite, right? In this life, when we're surrounded by sin and by uh, the sin of inside of us and the sin of the world, right? We're going to face trouble. Think about, the, think about uh, David's calling. When David was called by Samuel, as soon as the Spirit of God rushed upon David, when Samuel identified him as God's chosen king, from that point forward, all David experienced was trouble. And suffering is promised for the Christian life and our life and the church life in general. But there's a difference in suffering for righteousness' sake and compromising. And so succumbing to fear or the world's demands or persecutions, right? We don't say that everything has gone perfect, the Lord's protection, because everything uh, has been prosperous. We say the Lord has protected us because as we've followed his word, he's protected us from turning away from his wisdom. And so the Lord uses all things for the good of his people, and he's done so in the life of this church. And then lastly, I think about the Lord's personal work. The Lord's personal work, the work that he's done deep in the hearts of people for the past seven years. I mean, he's saved people and he's sanctified people. And hopefully you are some of those people. We, people have been informed by the word and then transformed by the word. And that's what you need to be. You need to be informed. You need to know what it says and then you need to be changed by it. But only the Lord knows how many people he saved in our services uh, through evangelism for the members and the leaders out there sharing their faith. I can think of many people who have been saved in the services by the word of God and many people who have been saved by our members or leaders outside of these doors sharing their faith. I think about ministries that have come forth from this church like the Nehemiah Project and Steadfast Community Church and Campus Outreach, all of which come out of this church and have ripple effects of disciples making more and more disciples. I mean, only the Lord knows how many people have been saved through the existence of this church. And what about the people who have been sanctified? I'm, I meet people all the time who have been listening to us for years who I've never met. 
I meet people all the time who have said, I've grown in the Lord in this way. I never knew this. I lived like this my whole life. And now I know what the word says and my life is different. And time would run out to think about the people who now have clarity about the word or who have now marriages that honor the Lord or who are free from the slavery of sin that they never thought they could be free from and now living a joyful Christian life. You think about the people who have the joy of Christ that were trapped by the idea of suicide. Uh, You think about the people who are now using their gifts for the glory of God and the service to the body. You think about people who now have a church family that they've always hoped and wished for because the one anothering of the believers around them. You think about the effect of this church on the next generation. I mean, we just saw these families up here, but I mean, this is really just the beginning. I mean, think about when these kids grow up, they're teenagers, they're adults, and they begin kind of running the show around here, right? We joke about it, but wouldn't that be, isn't that going to be a wonderful sight to see? And so we have to keep that perspective, but how God has used this church Inside the walls and outside, he's prepared, he's provided, he's protected, and he's done this great personal work all by the hand of his providence to the praise of his glory. And this is his work, and we're committed to help people know the truth, to love the truth, and to live the truth. And uh, it's amazing to see when you trust God and his word, what God will do in the lives of people. And really, I just wanna say as we kind of move forward from here, it's really amazing to think that this is really just the beginning. I mean, seven years in the life of a church is really just the beginning. It feels like we're just at ground level. You kind of got to dig your way out for a little bit and then you can kind of walk on the ground. And here is now where I think the Lord is going to begin to do with this church what we've always prayed for and hoped for. And so my encouragement to you is in love and desperation as the body that's here, just keep going. Keep following the Lord Uh, encourage you to keep protecting yourself against the enemy. Satan would love to take down this church. I know you think, well, maybe that's Satan's not working, but listen, the the scriptures say we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? And so you got to guard against the enemy. You got to meditate on the word day and night. Don't loosen up in your Christian life because you think you've been one for a little while now. That's when Satan pounces. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of this world. I, I mean, In our society, that's what will derail you spiritually as well. You begin to love the world. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. I mean, hopefully you've learned by now not to be surprised by it. Just keep going. Reach the world, evangelize the world, cultivate a love for God. You gotta cultivate your love for the Lord. Some of you have lost your first love. You gotta continue to love the Lord deep in your heart. Christ told Peter, hey, feed my sheep. Why? Because you love me, right? And out of your loving response to me, you're going to do what I say. You got to love one another. You got to help one another grow, build one another up. Don't just wait on the leaders to do it. Work together, disciple each other and and sacrifice the resources that God has graciously given you for his kingdom. Don't gossip. Uh, Don't, uh, don't focus on yourself. Trust your leaders, love each other. And trust the Lord as he keeps watch over your soul through his, his word. And so I want us to be a flock that's holy to the Lord. And again, we have no idea how God's going to use this church to reach the world for his glory. And so it's wonderful to see. And I want to give all the praise to the Lord. But happy seven years.
And so as we kind of transition here, I want us to be everything the Lord wants us to be. And that's essentially what Paul is saying in this section. As we move into this section of scripture, Paul is giving these instructions because he wants this church, the Thessalonican church, to be everything that God wants it to be. And the Apostle Paul here has plans for this healthy, growing church. And as we look in this next section of the book, it's going to help us as well. And so let's read it, 5, 12 through 22. It says this, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every evil. Now, this is an incredible passage here, and what we're seeing in this entire section is a series of exhortations now to this church. It's a series of exhortations to this church so that they will continue to be what God wants them to be, that they're going to continue to grow into what God wants them to be as individuals and as a church. And so the, the Lord is leading Paul here to write these series of just exhortations, encouragements to this body. And so they want to be the people that uh, Paul wants them to be, the people that continue to honor the Lord, to the, the people that continue to grow in their faith, to grow in their relationship with God, to grow into the church that God created them to be. He wants them to continue to be this holy and pleasing assembly. He wants them to continue to be protected from the evil one. He, he wants them to continue to be effective in their ministry. He wants them to continue to have close fellowship with God. And he wants them to experience God's blessing. So listen now. This church, made up of true believers in Thessalonica, in the word here, they are the ones who, out of love, should continue to follow this sovereign God who saved them, and they need to continue to grow and operate and relate to each other and live in such a way that God will be honored according to his righteous standards. And so Paul is telling them how to live, a series of exhortations, so they become everything God wants them to be. Now remember, as we've read this, Paul's already said in chapter 4, verse 1, that they're doing great. They're doing great. They're a great church. They're a true church. They're a saved church. They honor the Lord. Remember this in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord that just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying you're doing wonderful. You're a true church. You're saved people. You're honoring the Lord, but you need to grow more. And that's what he's expressing here. He says the same thing in 4.3 of this same book. For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. In other words, you're saved. You're the people of God. But God's will for you is that you would grow. And this is what he's saying here in the next section in chapter 5, verse 23. He's going to say, now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. They're not sanctified completely yet. They need to keep growing. 
And listen, this is the same that's true for you, for us. We need to take heed to the word of God lest we think we've arrived. God's got more growth for you. He's got more growth for this church. He wants, in 523, says, for our whole spirit and soul and body to be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're to grow. And so he wants this church in Christ to grow into everything it's supposed to be, congregationally and individually. And so he gives this series of exhortations. They're congregational encouragements. They're a list of instructions for individuals. And so here's what we've titled this section, this whole section. Ecclesiastical exhortations, because that's exactly what this is. Encouragements or teaching or instructions for the church. Now, listen, now you're going to see this subtitle here. And let me help you understand, because we're going to we got to dissect this well. And there's so much instruction here. But these are church directives and instructions and warnings for the purpose of changed lives. Okay, that's what's happening here. Exhortation, instruction for the purpose of a changed life instruction for the purpose of someone doing what it says. And this is very straightforward and very applicational, okay? And so this is going to help us to change. It's going to help us to change. Now, listen now. As we get into this whole section, which is ecclesiastical exhortations, encouragements for the church to live right in light of the instructions of the Word of God, we can, pro- we can pretty easily separate within this section some various topics, okay? It, it really has three kind of sections within the section. And part one is the relationship between the church and its leaders. Here's what I want you to be, church, so that you can be everything you're supposed to be. Let's start first with the relationship with the church and its leaders, okay? So this church and its relationship with its leaders, and I put A there, this is part one, because uh, part 1A, because we're going to do this part, the church and its leaders, in, in, in two sections, okay, two parts. And so it'll be this week and next week, we'll cover this part one of the church and its leaders, okay? And so this is how we're going to divide it. But next week, as we get into verse 12, I mean, verse 13, you'll see this, the, the rest of part one. But then part two, the next real section within this section is the relationship with the church and each other. And so it's the church and its leaders. We're going to cover that in two parts, but then it's the church and each other. And that's going to take us a few messages as well. But he, he talks about how the church needs to begin relating to one another or continue to relate to one another. Very practical. And then the third aspect will be the church and its, its attitudes or its overall uh, 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 lifestyle in terms of its relationship with the Lord. Its attitude towards the Lord and, uh, and its attitude and its responsibility just as Christians in general. Okay, so we're going to see this. um, We're going to see this divided pretty simply. Okay, pretty simply. It's going to be the local church's instructions. First of all, the relationship between the church and the leaders. And then we're going to see the church relating to each other. And then we're going to see this idea of the church's responsibility and attitude just in general as as Christians, the internal stuff. Okay, so this is very practical to be the church that God wants this church to be. Now, as we move into this main point this morning, this this church relationship with its leaders, here are here's how it's really divided. Verse 12, it's 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 helpful to see the structure of this, just this one verse. And here's the main point. The overarching theme is recognize and appreciate your leaders. Verse 12. 
recognize and appreciate your leaders. And really, there's three kind of subpoints that are branching off of that, and I'll explain it to you. But the first is that they labor among you. The second is that they have charge over you. And the third is that they instruct you. And you're going to see this is very clear in the section. So once again, we're entering into this real final section. Paul just got done talking about the day of the Lord. He's going to now close this whole book in a sense by just giving, he's switching gears and he's just giving these exhortations, this series of exhortations like a machine gun, one after the other. And he starts by this relationship between the church and its leaders. He'll talk about the church relating to each other. He'll talk about the internal attitudes and responsibilities of each Christian believer. We'll see that in this section, right? And as we look now at the relationship between the church and its leaders, this one verse, chapter 12, really tells us, uh, verse 12 tells us a lot, and this is how it's divided. The main point is recognize and appreciate your leaders, and he goes into the fact that they labor among you, they have charge over you, and they instruct you. So let's move into this now. Verse 12, read it. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So the first and main overarching point that Paul is giving here is to recognize and appreciate your leaders. As he closes this book and he moves into this set of directives so that they are to be everything that the church of Christ should be, he says, as I close, and really he's got a lot more packed in before the book's done, but he says, we ask you, brothers, we plead with you, brothers. Listen now, as we close out, here's what I want you to be. Here's what you need to be. We ask you to do this. This church needs to continue to follow Paul's instructions. And the first thing he starts with is that they are to recognize and appreciate their leaders. So this is Paul heading towards the close of the letter. And he's packing in this dense list of exhortations. It's like if you just got a bunch of things to say and you're about to close the letter and you want to make sure you get it all off your chest. That's kind of what it is. This is just rapid response. Remember the day of the Lord instructions? Those were kind of in response to the questions that they had that they brought back to, uh, by Timothy to Paul. And Paul had to clarify these things. Paul's now moving into just his own initiative instruction, not really answering any questions, just kind of getting it all off the chest so this church that he loves can be what Christ calls it to be. And so he's packing it in. And surely he wants these, this church to grow and continue to be healthy. And so verse 12, he starts off this and he says, look at it. We ask you, brothers. Now, this is wonderful because this is a, a humble request by the leader. This is a humble request by the leader. He says, we ask you. It's a plea by someone who cares. It's like a parent who would say, I'm just asking you, please obey your mom today. Right? It, it's, it comes with authority. It, it, it comes with a mandatory request and response. But it's in a loving way. This, this church is doing great. He loves them. But he knows how quickly Satan can destroy everything. And so this is a plea by someone who cares. This is a plea by someone who wants the best for them. This is someone acknowledging that they're doing well, but they need to keep growing 
It's someone who wants the best for them so that the church doesn't end up in sin or disarray. He wants them to do this for him and for his fellow ministers. And really, the same expression was used in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord. It's an asking and an urging. It's gentle and it's gracious, but it's mandatory. It's like a commander softly telling the person underneath him what to do. And so he's directing. Who is he directing now? Who is he asking? He's asking these brothers, right? We ask you, brothers. And their picture is just the believers of the church, male and female, general term. We ask you, true believers in the Lord, right? This is what he wants them to be. Now, what is he asking of these believers? He's asking this in the ESV to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. That's 12 and 13. But as we look at just the beginning here, he says that you appreciate. That's the NASB or respect. That's the ESV. Now, this is very interesting. And the translation of those words is like, well, which one is it? And it's hard to wrap up a Greek word in an English word. There's no one-to-one equivalent. There's a range of meaning. And so the word is literally from the word to know. It's oida. It's, we, we ask you, brothers, to know your leaders. But the know here is not just a mental knowledge of something. The knowledge is a knowledge through experience. It's used in a lot of different places. So in a sense, what he's saying here is we ask you, brothers, to know your leaders. The word oida. But the, the, the range of meaning in this knowledge is the lexicon conveys just a, you know, the, the range of what this is. And I've just kind of summarized it for you, which is why you have respect in one and you have igno- appreciate in the other. And those are both great translations, but it's, it's hard to kind of summarize what ex- everything that he's packing in in this one word. So to know them, what does that mean? Know your leaders. Well, it means first to recognize them. It means to, to set them in their proper place, it mean, in, in your mind. It, it means to acknowledge their position. It means to identify or accept or distinguish. It, it means to know who they are, to recognize the merit of the position. Paul uses it to, rec- it, it, he talks about how they recognized his position as an apostle. Look in First Thessalonians, just follow along with me. Go to the beginning of the book, verse 5. Because our gospel came only to uh, not only to you in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And you what? Know what kind of men we prove to be for your sake. It's this recognition, right? Uh, chapter two, verses one through two. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in, in vain. I mean, it's this understanding of who the apostles And these ministers were, if you go to chapter two, verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us and accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. And, uh, and, and there the idea is, is that they kind of knew what the truth of the word is and they recognize it. Chapter three, verses six through eight, the same thing. Um, we see it, and, and in chapter 4, verse 2, we see it. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. It's this idea then of, and it's not translated all there as no, but this idea of kind of knowing and doing and, and experiencing and having this recognition of what God says and who the leaders were, the apostles were, etc. So it's this recognition 
to set them in the proper place in their minds. So this word also, the lexicon conveys, secondly, respect. That's why the ESV chooses to translate it. So we ask you, brothers, this gentle plea from their leader to know, recognize, know who they are, set them in their proper place, respect, right? Uh, this comes along with the idea of this knowing, okay? And, and so that's why the ESV, again, choose to translate, chooses to translate it this way, which is what we're using to respect those who labor among you, right? Show proper reverence for. The third idea means to appreciate. It's with the NASB uses the word appreciate. So it's, it's this knowing who they are. It's this respecting. It's this reverence. It's this recognition, this appreciation. The NASB chooses to translate it this way, and it's not only know by acknowledging in your mind, but it's, deta- it's not detached from the heart, right? This knowing is not detached from the heart. Listen now. It's, it's embracing the recognition. It's embracing the, the, res- the respect, the acknowledgement. It's this thankfulness and gratitude within it, right? And... Um, the next verse, verse 13, will build on this. It says, esteem them very highly in love. It's not just esteem them highly and do it resentfully. It's esteem them highly in love. And this is kind of this idea of this appreciation. And then it's, it's this idea of valuing the service. So it means to show honor. But this knowing also conveys this knowing them personally. Listen now. Lock in here. This is the word, and, and I want you to hear what it says. We've got a, a short time. Know them personally. This is the knowing of them personally. This really includes, it's included in this word. It's a close personal acquaintance with. Know them. It's this intimacy with, right? And it involves this taking interest in them. It involves this intimate relationship and knowledge of the leaders of the church. The word then includes also this, word, this idea of caring for them. Literally, the idea includes caring for them financially, just in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, we read in that to honor the leaders, right? Honor those, especially show double honor in 1 Timothy 5. I won't turn there now, but show double honor to those, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, right? And in the context, the honor is financial responsibility, financial support, help, financial care, provisional honoring, Right? Even in the next verse, don't muzzle the ox. Before that, it's the providing for the widows. And so this honor includes this, this respect, this reverence, this putting them in their proper place in your mind and in your heart, and then also this provisional care for those who are the leaders of the church and those who are not pursuing profit like the rest of the world does, but are giving their their labor, their time, their energy, their, their, uh, their job description, so to speak, is that of the ministry. And so 1 Corinthians 9.14 kind of summarizes that those who diligently sacrifice preaching and teaching, expound the word, expound the word, proclaim the gospel, should get their living from the gospel, right? The church generously supports those who do so. 
And so these are the rare nuances of this word. Know your leaders. That's why the ESV is respect. The, the NASB is appreciate. And it's everywhere in between this, this range. So Paul uses this to give them instruction as he closes this letter so that they continue to be what they should be. He gives them this instruction about the relationship with them and their leaders to know. And it's, it's more than just know their names. It's more than just a general awareness about who they are and what kind of car they drive. It's this, this more than this general facts about their lives and their situation, but it's a close personal relationship. It's one of appreciation, knowledge, gratitude. It's a recognition of them and their role. It's a heartfelt respect and admiration. It's a love and it's a trust and it's a personal care, provisional care, and it's this gratitude. And so no here is more than mental, it's experiential. So when, the, when he says know your leaders, the connotations here are, are the ones that I mentioned. And so this is the major idea, the relationship between the church and the leaders. And you're going to see this. Just look at this section for you. Look at uh, for a minute. Look at 12 and 13. There's two. We're going to move into the subpoints, And I want to show you this. There's two main thrusts, two main teachings here with some modifiers attached to each one. The first, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. This idea, we ask you to, to, to do this, to respect those or appreciate those. That's the first main idea. And now he's going to describe who these leaders are. And then in verse 13, here's the next main instruction. There's two. There's two thrusts to it. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so there's some descriptions that come across this as well. So the two main pieces here, appreciate, respect, esteem. And each one has some things attached to it. Okay, and so that's why we're kind of covering this main one here, and both ideas are kind of modified here. And so who is he saying this about? Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, respect or appreciate or reverence or, or, uh, or, or care for or know or, or honor, etc. those who, who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you or instruct you. And so this is the idea. I want you to understand here. Listen, those, those people, this is kind of technical, but it really, it really should help you. There's one article here, and it's translated those. These are the people. And there's three participle phrases that refer back to this one person. And, so there's, and it's separated by and. There's no additional articles. It's referring to the same person. Okay, so it's respect those who, who do these three functional things. It's not these three separate groups. Respect these people and these people who do this and those people who do this. It's the, it's the one group who does these three functional things, just as like in Acts chapter 20, right? You got three terms used for the leaders of the church and they're interchangeable. They're not referring to different people. They're referring to the same person, but describing the three functions of those people. And so here's where we're seeing these functions of the pastor, of the overseer, used interchangeably once again. And really, just for your information, Scripture really gives us four ideas of who the leaders of the church should be functionally. There's four, there's four teachings. First of all, there's the elder, the Greek word presbyteros. It's connoting spiritual wisdom and example. 
It's used in Acts 15, Acts 20, Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 1, James 5, 1 Peter 5, 2 John 1, 3 John 1. So it's this elder or presbyteros that connotes a spiritual example, the one who, who, is the, who is giving spiritual wisdom and leading the flock by example. Then there's the word that's used for the leaders of the church, overseer. Or, or episkopos, which is the oversight and authority. It's also translated bishop, right? This overseeing, this authoritative overseeing. And then you see another word that's used, poimen, which is translated shepherd or pastor, right? And it's the one, refers to the one who's specifically to feed the flock and protect them, discipline, clean, lead. But it's this feeding, he's leading by feeding. And so he's teaching the word, which is showing the church the direction it should go, right? And then you have this fourth word, and usually this is left out, but it's, it, it really is used, it's just leader, hegemon. And it's used in, in Hebrews um, chapter three, verse seven, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Or Hebrews 13, 17, just 10 verses later, obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So it's the same, listen now, the same people, the same leaders of the church, right? This, they're the elders, they're the overseers, there's the, they're the pastors, uh, they're, the, uh, they're the, sh- the, the, uh, the protectors, I'm sorry, the elders, the overseers, the pastors, and then they're the leaders as well. And so in the same way, look at verse 12, these three distinct descriptions are the functional descriptions of this one group of leadership, right? This one office, so to speak. So they should appreciate and care for those who lead them, why? Why? Because they're the ones who labor among you. They're the ones who are over you in the Lord. And they're the ones who admonish you. See how this structure works? It's pretty clear. So let's start with each one of these subpoints. First of all, they're the ones that labor among you. Respect, appreciate, know, care for, Reverence, show gratitude, provide for all of these things summarized. These leaders, who are they? They're the ones who labor among you. Now, I want to notice this, this uh, observation here. Those, this is to one local church. And those here is plural. And so what's that pointing to as, a, as another pointer towards the plurality of elders, right? This is one church and there's a plurality of leaders that this church is to respond to in this way, okay? And that's how it should be, by the way. Biblically speaking, there is no um, one lead elder, maybe in function in certain terms, but the elders or the pastors or the, the overseers, or the leaders are to lead the flock. They're all equal, right? They're all, there's only one, there's only one position. There's no category beyond that. Maybe a leader among leaders in terms of function, but, but they're all the same. And so they are to respect these leaders, this plurality of this one church, okay? And so the labor among you, 
And the word here is, is pretty clear. We've, he's used it before in the rest of the book, but it means to exert oneself physically or mentally or spiritually, to work hard, to toil, to strive. And really the point is the, one, the people who work to the point of exhaustion, who work to the point of exhaustion. They, they work to the point of exhaustion for the spiritual fidelity of the church, the teaching, the spiritual formation, the faithfulness, the health, the service, the growth, development of the church and the people. They hold the line. They're the ones who endure the attack. They study, they pray, they help, they counsel, they oversee this vital area, which is the most important area in all of life of spiritual work. That's the idea here. Who labor among you? What do they labor to do? Well, it's not just anything. It's the spiritual work. This is heaven and hell. This is life and death. This is the relationship with the true God for the sake of the glory of God and the relationship of the Lord with the body and the faithfulness of life and doctrine. And so really saying here that the, the pastors who eat Breathe, drink, and sleep. We put in the sweat for the oversight of the church. That's the idea here. And uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 gives us kind of that idea. And even Acts 20, Paul says, when, you, when they came to him, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable, teaching in public squares and from house to house, both tes testifying to both Jews and Greeks, repentance in God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's this total life package of giving everything you have to the ministry of the word. Now, I want you to listen to this because this working to the point of exhaustion is not just the nine to five. That's what Paul's saying. He's given his whole life. I was talking to Pastor Mike this this past week, and, and we were just discussing the ministry. And, and I was telling him, I said, you know, the, the, the job of the minister requires the whole life. There's never any point where I cannot be spiritual, where I, I can be unspiritual. There's, there's never one point that I can be unspiritual. I'm not saying that I'm always perfect in that, for sure, but I have to be, it requires every minute of my life. It requires when I go to bed. It requires when I wake up. It's like a, an athlete who always has to be following the regimen because I, I have to be that. I can't come up here and preach to you when my heart's not right. I, I, can't, be, I can't wake up and just say, hey, look, I'm a little just tired today. I'm just gonna roll out of bed. Hopefully everything turns out right because I'm having spiritual conversations with people all day long and having to represent the word of God. Uh, on Saturdays, I have to, I have to be a, in a certain way because I got to re-look re at all this. I got to sleep I, well. I got to wake up and I have to be spiritually in a place of, uh, of uh, honoring the Lord. I mean, it requires your whole life. You have to meet these qualifications of the elder, of an elder. And, and so you have to stay qualified. And so it's not just a nine to five where you can be off. What Paul's referring to here is this, this role requires the entire life of the person. Every aspect all the time can never have an off game. And so obviously the Lord is gracious and, and none of us are perfect, but that's the idea. That's the idea here. And he says he labors among them. He's not far off from them. This is an involved leadership. That's instruction for the local congregation 
And now listen now, he labors among them. What this implies, and I'm gonna get to it in a minute, is that you are not to appreciate and respect and reverence and submit to, et cetera, every elder on the planet. This, this idea points to this local congregation that has elders within it, and that's who you are to submit to. It indicates this in Titus 1, elders in every town, right? These local congregation, these ruling elders among this body of believers. Now, number two here is that they not only labor among you, but that they have, they're over you in the Lord. They're over you in the Lord, right? He says, we urge you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are what? Over you in, in the Lord. And the word proistemi, it, it means to, to stand before, to stand above. It's the kind of the picture, right, of the ones on the stage in that sense. It's, but it's, it's the idea. It's the picture of the directing of the flock. It's, it means presiding over. They're the ones who preside over you. It, it's the idea of being the head of or the rule of. They have the position of leadership. They are authoritatively directing the flock, Right? And so, and listen, this is mentioned here. You have to know, and I've already mentioned this to you. This is one of the first books that are ever written in the New Testament, if not the first. The presence of church government was early in the assembly, in the the local church. Some people say, well, we created this function. No, we didn't. This is early. This is the first book, right? And so so this, this mentions, it doesn't mention uh, certain aspects of it, like the qualifications, et cetera. But Paul undoubtedly taught that because in just a little bit, he's gonna write in First, uh, First Timothy and Titus what those qualifications are. And throughout many other books, he's gonna describe more of the function of that. But he had to have taught that because these people were in these positions early on in the church. And so we see this now, this aspect here of how they are to relate, but make no mistake, Paul established this church structure, organization, leadership, in the very beginning, in the very beginning. And so here, this function of this office, uh, you have to understand, if it says those who are over you in the Lord, you have to understand, and Bo mentioned this last week, but this necessitates church membership. Listen closely to this. It, this necessitates church membership. Some people say, well, church membership is not in the Bible. Okay, your phrase that we made up, church membership, is not in the Bible. God doesn't have to use the phrase that you made up. That's just the phrase you made up, we made up, right? Church membership, right? That's the idea of summarizing all of it, right? Is the idea there? Is the teaching there? That's the important thing, right? And so, and, so, and of course it is, of course it is. You, you can say that, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to become a member of the church, okay? Um, there's no way that works with the teaching of Scripture. Not even in, in a little bit, right? Because you think about all the instructions. The shepherds, listen close now, are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 1 Peter 5, 2. Do... I mean, among us means the ones who are here. Does that mean the shepherd, our pastors are in charge of shepherding every Christian around us? No way, it can't. It can't, right? There's a, a, there's a people group among you, okay? 
Hebrews 13 says that the elders are to give an account for, for the, those people, right? Hebrews 13, I, I, read, I read that verse to you earlier. Am I to give an account for every Christian? No, I can't. Uh, what about those who visit and attend regularly? I mean, I love that you're here. And I, please keep coming. I want you to hear. I want you to know Christ if you're a visitor and you're regularly attending, but I'm not, I can't be responsible to you before, for you before the Lord because there's no commitment there. I, I don't know if you're a believer for sure or not. I, I, I don't understand if you're committed to this body, if you're heading in the right direction spiritually, no, no overwhelming sin in your life that would prevent you from walking with Christ. I, I don't know that if, you've commit, if we're playing by the same rules, if you're committed to the word of God. That's why we have a doctrinal distinctive. It's what we teach. Not everyone believes the exact same things on some of the minutia, that's okay, but you're not to to teach that anything differently beyond that, because this is what we teach here. And you have to understand that because that's what we believe is faithful to the word of God. And we have to make sure the people are under the teaching of the word, right? And so are you committed to that teaching of the word of God? I don't know. Maybe you don't believe the words in, inerrant or infallible. And so there's, there's gotta be a people who truly know Christ, who are committed to be under leadership and committed to one another in order for somebody to be responsible for their soul. It can't just be every person who just comes in the door, right? Now, what about, uh, not what about the person in the, in, the, in the chair? What about the flock? It says you are to submit to your elders. Are you called to submit to every elder on the planet? That would be scary, right? You'd be running all over the place. Wouldn't know which way to believe or what to do, right? You don't even know if those leaders meet qualifications. You got to understand, listen now, just because someone calls themselves a pastor or someone calls them a pastor doesn't mean they are one, biblically speaking. There are certain uh, qualifications and functions, functions for what the pastor is supposed to be. And just like every church that calls themselves a church is not a church because they call themselves that. You can, anyone can put their name, that name on the sign. The Bible gives very clear distinctive is what makes a church, biblically speaking, certain principles. And so you are to submit to one local body. Now, what about the idea of church discipline? Matthew chapter 18 doesn't work without church membership. It doesn't work. It, 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 the process necessitates a local congregation. And then what about the one and others, right? And Bo mentioned some of these. The way in which those are laid out, it, it necessitates church membership. It necessitates commitment to the body. And so uh, we can dive into all of that another time, but you have to understand that that's why the, the idea that church membership, you're, the phrase that we want to use isn't there. That's just, a, that's just a, like a systematic theology phrase in a sense. We, it's just a category that we're summarizing all the Bible's teaching about being committed to a local body. The phrase isn't there, but the idea is, is there. And so, and one who is not committed to a local body is in a spiritual place of danger and unhealth. And so you have to understand that there's this submission, there's this leadership, there's accountability, and there are people who are over you in the Lord. And I'm, you know, trying to, I want to say this as graciously as possible, but th this is clear. You know, you wonder what is primary, what is secondary in terms of teaching 
Well, is there anything really secondary in terms of teaching in the Bible? I don't know, right? You're still working through that. But one thing we know for sure is what is primary, if it's not just the gospel uh, explicitly, which is obviously of first importance, that stuff that is explicit in scripture, like there's no inference or putting it together. All the Bible is clear, authoritatively clear. It necessitates, for God to have authority over us, it's the necessity of the, it's necessitated that the Bible's clear because we have to know his plan and we need to know what pleases him. We need to know his mind on things so we can live it out. So the Bible is clear in everything. It has to be because God has to instruct his people He's redeeming a people to live for him. And so we need to know what it is so we can live for him, please him, know his mind on things, right? But when I say explicit, there's statements that are just, uh, that are just, um, they're, they're saying it in a very clear, concise way that there's no way of misinterpreting it. And, and these phrases here, there's no way of misinterpreting what he's saying here. This is clear, this is explicit, this is, this is upfront. And so what we have to understand is, is that this is purposeful because Christ wants his church to be everything that he calls it to be. And so there are people over you in the Lord and it has to be that way in order for you as an individual and the church to have, have health, right? And so it saddens me when you think about the culture nowadays where the individual is always right and the organization or the, the, the majority is always what? Wrong. I mean, you got to move away from that. Just because someone feels a certain thing doesn't mean they're right. If the church, based upon the word of God and the leadership, is declaring what is true, the individual isn't right just because they feel something. Right? The word is Right? Okay, so you have to understand that. And you've got, we've got to reshape our thinking. We've got to reshape our thoughts. It's, it's hard when you see even believers in the church who relate more to their lost coworker than they do to the dogmatic statements of their pastor who teaches the word. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, I don't want to hear that. That seems too unloving. But they feel real good when they can relate to the, to the, to the coworker like they're accomplishing something. It's almost as if we want to be more worldly than we want to be holy. And we don't want to hear the teaching of the leadership because we want to relate to the individual. Listen now, the scripture is clear. There is a corporate aspect to this. There is leadership, there is structure, there is authority. You are to appreciate, respect, recognize, know, care for this leadership that's over you in the church and over you in the Lord. And that's gonna take some reshaping of our thinking. Um, He says this, and really, in Philippians 1, it lays out really this normal pattern, okay? He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You have overseers, you have deacons, and you have saints. Okay, Philippians 1.1. And that's the idea here. That's the structure of the church. There are people who are over you in the Lord, and those are the overseers. But he says this, in the Lord, Right? In the Lord. It means this, they're appointed by God. They're appointed by God, okay? And this is for the spiritual progress of the church. It's for the things of the Lord. It's for the things of the believer. 
and it's th- this person is appointed you appointed by by God. They're over you in the Lord. There's a calling aspect to this, and I've been really thinking about this. Uh, you have to understand that those who are not called to the ministry, it's like torment if they get into it. And if those people who are called to the ministry, it's like torment not to be in it, right? Um, I know we're moving close to the end of time and I don't have much more to say to you, but, but I, I do wanna, I, I was gonna read, I've been reading this, this lectures to my students by Spurgeon. And this chapter of the call to ministry, and even I've been listening to some things by Martin Lloyd-Jones that have been incredible in terms of the calling of ministry. And he's talking about how, you know, who you put up to preach. And there has to be this calling to it because someone can maybe be skilled, but, but you miss the calling and there's this element missing, right? It's a person who's called by God, who feels the weight of the task, the responsibility of the church, and doesn't have to be the, the, the ordained minister, but has to be one who feels the weight of advancing God's word for his mission and, and his glory. This calling is important, and sometimes we take it lightly, but let me just read this. Any Christian has the right to decimate the gospel and has the ability to do so. And more, he not only has the right, but it is his duty. So to as long as he lives, this means every Christian should be on mission. The propagation of the gospel is left not to a few, but to all, all disciples of the Lord Jesus, according to the measure of the grace entrusted to him by the Holy Spirit. Each man is bound to minister in his day and his generation, both to the church and among unbelievers. Indeed, this question that he's talking about calling goes beyond men and even includes the whole the whole of the opposite sex, the whole of the other sex, uh, what this means, this general mission, whether believers are male or female, they're all bound, right? When enabled by divine grace to exert themselves to the uttermost to extend the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our service, however, need not take the particulars form of preaching. Certainly in some cases, it must not. For as, for instance, in the case of females whose public teaching is expressly prohibited. But yet, if we have the ability to preach, we are bound to exercise it. So what he's saying is every Christian is bound to be in ministry, both men and women, to preach the gospel. But, but those who are called by God and gifted to do so at the level of pastor or overseer must obey this call. He says, I do not, however, in this lecture allude to the occasional preaching or any other form of ministry common to all the saints. So there is some form of lay leadership, etc. but to the work in the office of bishop in which is included both teaching and bearing rule in the church, which requires the dedication of a man's entire life to the spiritual work and the separation from every secular calling. It entitles the man to cast himself for, te- uh, for temporal supplies upon the church of God since he gives up all of his time, his energies, his endeavors for the good of those over whom he presides. Such a man is addressed by Peter in the words, feed the flock, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Now all in the church cannot oversee or rule. There must be some to be overseen and ruled. We believe that the Holy Ghost appoints in the church of God some to act as overseers, while others are made willing to be watched over for their good. All are not called to labor in the word or doctrine or to be elders or to exercise the office of a bishop, nor should all aspire to such work since the gifts necessary are nowhere promised to all. But those should addict themselves to such important engagements who feel like the apostle that they have received this ministry. No man may intrude into the sheepfold as under the shepherd 
He must have an eye to the chief shepherd and wait his beck and command. Or ever a man stands forth as God's ambassador, he must wait from the call above. If he does not do so, but rushes into the sacred office, the Lord will say of him like he said to others, I sent them not, neither commanded them not. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord." Let me read just another bit. Nor need of any um, imagine that such a cause are mere delusions. They're real, right? That none are in this age separated for this peculiar work of teaching and overseeing of the church. It's not true. There are some that are set apart, he's saying. For the, man, for the very names given to the ministers in the New Testament imply a call to their work. The apostle Paul says, now then we are ambassadors for God. But does not the very soul of the ambassadorial, ambassadorial office lie in the appointment which is made by the monarch represented, an ambassador unsent would be a laughingstock. Men who dare to avow themselves ambassadors for Christ must feel solemnly that the Lord has committed to them the word of reconciliation. If it be said that, this restrict, that it's restricted to the apostles, I answer the epistle is not written only by the apostle Paul, but that of Timothy also. So there's more than just the apostles who are called like this, Right? He says, surely a steward must hold his office from the master. He cannot be a steward merely because he chooses to be so or is so regarded by others. If any of us should elect ourselves steward of the Marquis of Westminster, for instance, and proceed to deal with this property, we should have our mistake very speedily pointed out to us and most convincing in a most convincing manner. There must be evidence of an authority before man uh, there must be evidently be authority before a man can legally become the bishop, the steward of God. In essence, this is a call from God. And so listen now, as we close this, this, this part here, this is what he's saying. They're over you. There are people over you. This is uh, who they are. They're the elders, the teachers, the, the leaders, the shepherds, the pastors, the, 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 uh, the ones who are called by God to oversee the church. This is not a self-appointment. This is ones who are over you in the Lord. They represent the Lord and they help you to understand the spiritual uh, qualify, uh, calling of, of God. And so we have to understand that this is a calling by certain people from God to certain people to oversee the church. Now, this last part here is they, they are the ones who instruct you. Okay, and let me just mention this and we'll be done. They're the ones who instruct you. They're there to admonish you. That admonish word, okay, is the ver a form of the verb nutheteo, which means, and many of you guys have probably heard that word before, but it means instruction, but not only instruction, it's instruction for the purpose of change and correcting. It's where we get the term nuthetic counseling, right? It's, it's to bear, to put on one's mind the word of God for the purpose of changing, it's not just instruction. That's why some here use admonish. Admonish here is translated later on in this section in, chapter, in verse 15 as warn, right? Warn the idle or warn the unruly. What he's saying there is those who won't be ruled by leaders, the church, the, the, the people of the church are to warn those people within the body who won't be ruled by elders. So, it, so that word there is used as warn. So it's this warning, this instruction. It's for the purpose of change. Right, It's for the purpose of change. And so what he's saying here is those who instruct you in the word of God to help you change, to help you live for God and his glory. And so those are the people who you are to follow, to listen to. And so the, the preacher must be skilled in the word of God, the pastor, right? This is what it implies here. He must have spiritually authentic 
uh, faith. He must weed out all of his other motives. He must get the text right. He must make it plain. He must make it clear. He must do so with authority. He must do so with love. He must think of how it applies to the, to the congregation. He must help them live it out. He must do this day after day, week after week. He must grow in the knowledge himself. He must understand the doctrine and how the whole Bible fits together. And he must be able to make this plain to people so they can know the truth, love the truth, and live the truth. These are the people who are instructing the, the people of God, okay? As Ezra 7.10 says, says, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Study, do himself, and what? Teach. That's the idea here. And so the ones who instruct the congregation, right, or warn them for the purpose of change. That's what 2 Timothy says. All scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for what? For correcting um, for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So that's the idea. It's this teaching, but then this correcting. So listen now. Here's what's being said in this verse 12. And I want to take it slow, methodical, because I really want you to understand this. I'm trying to be gracious in it. This is what Paul is saying here. As I close out this letter, I want you to be the church that God wants you to be. I want you to keep growing and keep maturing. The first issue here is how the church relates to its leaders. And the overall teaching here is you have to appreciate, recognize, respect, know, care for, all of that summed up, right? They're the ones who, they're, they're the ones who labor among you. They're the ones who, who have charge over you as put there by God and placed you under their, under their care in a, in a church, in a local body. And they're the ones who instruct you in the word of God to help you change and honor Christ. And so this is the call. And so my encouragement to you is let's be who God calls us to be, okay? Let's be who God calls us to be. And that might mean that you need to change your attitude in this area. That means that you might need to repent that means that you might need to, to get on your face before the Lord and, and have uh, his word instruct you. Remember Psalm 23. He's a good shepherd that leads us in good paths, right? And, um, and this is his good way for his body. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and, uh, and I just ask you to take your word and to use it in our lives. I know that there's... Um, there's so much to be said here, and I just pray by your grace, by your mercy, by your guidance, that we would be everything that you call us to be as a body. Um, and, uh, and Lord, we ask you that in your loving kindness, that you would make us this great body of believers whom you use over time because we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.